Welcome to the Nightbird Radio Podcast. I'm Timothy Saylor, and I'm going to be your host this evening as we sound out the subconscious, navigate the nocturnal, and explore the farthest reaches of our experience. Coming at you from the back of an 86 Dodge Ram van on the rolling foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in the Great Forest, deep in the heart of the Kali Yuga. This is Radio for the Hauntological Turn. This episode of the Nightbird Radio Podcast was brought to you by yours truly. If you'd like to support the show and hear your name or a cryptic message in lieu of your name read at the top of the show, go to nightbirdpodcast.com and navigate to the support the show page. Thank you so much for your generous support. And welcome back, Nightbirds. It's great to have you back, and it's great to be back. This week I was joined by Noah. Noah is like me, a seeker, a searcher, a nightbird. We explore political, biological, physical, and cosmological heresies of all shapes and sizes. We discuss the intersection of paranormal phenomena and psi. We talk about aliens, high strangeness, AI as a doorway, political power and the archetype of the hidden, the powers that manage the narrative of empire, conspiracy yoga, spooky presidents, alternative cosmologies, and so much more. We also offer our personal medicine for these times, our own ways out of the trap, if you will. But without further introduction, let's get to the conversation. Noah, welcome to the Nightbird Radio Podcast. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, uh, Really excited to chat with you. Really glad to have you on. I know we always have really good conversations. For sure. Um, do we want to jump into what we were talking about? You know, before we did that, we were having a really good conversation before that we hit record, as is tradition. Um, but before we get into some of that um, deeper, darker stuff, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask a little bit about yourself. Um, what were you afraid of as a child? Oh, that's a super interesting question. Uh, believe it or not, I actually had a phobia of ghosts, um, nice. which is kind of funny. Like, you know, ended up in the the field that I'm in, like studying like animism and occultism and all these different things. And yeah, I, I was terrified uh, of of like unseen presences. And I, I don't even know where it came from. I, I can't recall like a childhood experience that like led to that. But I... Um, I like slept with a light on like um, it drove my parents nuts because like, you know, they they didn't see any evidence of like any reason to be afraid. But like for years and years, it was a big fear of mine. And so your relationship to that now, as you hinted, is a little bit more, um, shall we say, nuanced or closer? What do you what? I think it really set the stage for a a lot of stuff. And I actually looking back on it, um, I kind of wonder if um, I was actually picking up on something and like it it obviously, it wasn't like big enough or powerful enough to like move objects around, like not like a classic, like haunting or anything like that, but kind of wonder if I was like picking up on something that like my culture really couldn't explain. And um and kind of like looking back on it like there definitely seemed to be certain patterns to it like certain regions of the house were worse than others and 
Um, I don't really would know why that would be, but um, it definitely like sticks out to me looking back on it now. So I, I think there was maybe like something to it, but um, there it was probably mixed with a lot of just like irrational fear about, you know, encountering something that you can't see and can't really understand. I um, The reason I ask that, and it's been a great, like just that question alone, I got off of it for a couple episodes I forgot to ask and I'm really kicking myself for it because it always um, illuminates for me a little bit because I find that, okay, so I was really afraid of aliens and I was afraid of ghosts too. I was really afraid of everything when I was a kid. Um, but I was terrified of that stuff, but I was also like just obsessed with it. And I'm still now obsessed with it, but I have a different relationship. And um, it's almost as if, just from asking this question, it seems like what we're afraid of as kids plays a really big part in what we're fascinated by later on. And, you know, maybe sometimes it stays a fear because that fails to be integrated or what have you. I, you know, everyone's different. But, um, yeah, I'm always interested to hear about that. Yeah, I I feel like if I had seen like a, a full body apparition as a kid, I probably would have just like uh, been traumatized forever. But I feel like if I saw one now, I would actually be like able to deal with it. Um, and it actually wasn't until years later that I I actually had something happen. Like um, uh, I'm not sure how many details I can share because it was at somebody else's house, and there was like some. Uh, connections to powerful people involved, which is really strange. But uh, I saw an object moved on its own. Um, and what was weird about it to me was I wasn't scared when it happened. Like I watched this object move. And uh, as far as I could tell, like I, I interpreted it at the time as a reminder that I had to do something, that I had to take care of something on the property that I was staying at. And then it really hit me later how strange it was. So like the first time I actually saw something like very high strangeness, like I, I it didn't really even compute for me, honestly. And I, I've heard that's a really common thing where like people will have like extreme paranormal experiences and then forget about them, even though they're extremely powerful. Right. Or like just go back to sleep. Um, I think mm-hmm. Young Young talks about that. So I can't be sure. I can't remember. Um, so that brings me to another interesting thought. When I think about ghosts, and you mentioned some uh, somewhat the psi portion of that. I think there's like an intersection there with psi abilities, um, synchronicity, and then also actual spirits, right? So like mm-hmm. what happens a lot of the time is that people are like grasping for these explanations that are almost way more ridiculous than just the actual answer that there are spirits. But yeah. I think that some of those explanations do... Um, explore fertile territory. And so I think it's like this combination of all of those things, right? What do you think about mm-hmm. that? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good take. And that's that's really close to my take too, because um I I actually, I'll be honest, like I kind of um dismissed a lot of like UFO stuff and kind of extraterrestrial hypothesis stuff when I was younger because it didn't seem to like say anything about reality to me. Because I, I was looking at the like the way it was like interpreted in pop culture, and it's like these these are beings that are like basically just like us, only like better at manipulating matter, and then they come here and I don't know, like pick people up and drop them off. And I didn't really find that like satisfying because it, it like it didn't enrich reality for me. Like even if that was happening, it was just like this. This is just like a kind of 
Um, like it felt like partially a, a fantasy of our own technology versus like something really profound. And, and then I, I looked into it further and, um, you know, you, you, you pull at any one of these threads, like you pull at the UFO thread, even like Sasquatch and like you end up in high strange territory immediately. Like you end up with like Psy, you end up with ghosts, like the, these kind of things on the periphery of like official reality, um, all seem to be like related somehow. And, uh, like it, it's really hard to have like one explanation that covers all phenomenon. Yeah. You end up jumping into the whole, um, into the whole vast array of, of those things pretty quickly, uh, which is what I love about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, I had something and then I lost it. So yeah, like um, that's interesting. You're talking about, the idea of nuts and bolts craft um, and nuts and bolts aliens not enriching reality. It is almost like a um, almost a brash assumption, right? That like we could encounter something like that and still retain our paradigm or still retain our way of seeing the world. Like, that that wouldn't totally shatter it. And so that's why I'm kind of interested with all this AI stuff that's happening. I find it fascinating as well as terrifying, right? Mm-hmm. But I think um, I was talking to my brother about that. Um, there's an article going on right now around right now about the lobe, this being this oh. woman that shows up in, and I, you know, um, I can link the article in the show notes if anyone wants to read that, but, to, uh, what what the conclusion that I reached in this conversation with my brother was like that's alien contact. Mm-hmm. That's alien contact. It's not going to be, you know, this. And I almost think that there's a like a a psyop in the well, obviously right, but like <laughs> there's a <laughs> yeah. psyop in that um, that like close encounters of the third kind sort of deal, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that um, uh, because it it almost like continues the project of and maybe that's a bold statement of me to say that doesn't enrich reality to have nuts and bolts aliens coming down and be like, here's our faster than light device or whatever. Because like like, they're just acting as like uh, inter um, intergalactic taxi service that just like (laughs) picks people up one place and drops them off in another. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's like their time is missing or something. And like it's it and. I don't know. It just, it just seems like to continue the project of that, like managerial, like, you know, if you give enough money to us, we'll invent eventually invent something like this. And, and we'll be the, the extraterrestrials flying off to other planets. And, you know, that that's cool. Um, but yeah, I, I'm more interested in the stuff that kind of like, uh, suggests like a deeper reality to it. And, and as far as like AI goes, I think you're right. Like, I, I think that AI is, I I don't think um, based on like my understandings, like I, I don't think a, a consciousness could be constructed in any way. Like, I don't think you can put enough Lego pieces together to like make a person. Um, like, I think there's more involved in it than that, but it seems to me like uh, AI or like whatever these systems are that are like these like machine learning or like what, um, what is it like neural networks, um, have like a doorway in them that could lead to some interesting things. And uh, I think that's the value of like AI, like uh, quote unquote art for me is it like, it kind of shows the collective unconscious in a way that's never been seen before. Um, Cause it's like, 
learning from all of these different pieces of art and the AI couldn't exist unless these all these different pieces of arts did different pieces of art did and then it's like kind of showing a like archetype of some kind and that's what I find interesting about it but yeah I, I think there is a door in there I think it's a door in the same way that a statue can be a door like it's just it's a vessel that's easily inspirited because it mm-hmm. has um like it's in some way anthropomorphized, right? Because no matter how you dice it, it's a product of humans. And so it's by, in a way, an, an extension rather than some kind of a new creation, right? Just like I, I, I see cars this way. This is like my animism of cars. Um, you know, like, Or any tool, right? As a, like, if, it's easy to picture a hammer as an extension of the arm, mm-hmm. um, but then also has you know the ability to be inspirited because mm-hmm. of its because of its humanity. Because it, so you're getting like, not, and this is maybe a bad um, analogy, but you're getting like ninety percent of the way, and all you need is that ten percent, and something can just mm-hmm. jump in and fill it. Yeah, and and there's definitely like I think a um a lot of possibility for you know seeing how the other side like interacts with humans when we work with these technologies um kind of like like where did the ideas for these things come from uh and like is is are human purposes the only ones involved uh i think that's a really interesting question and um i I forgot his name i think carrie mullis the inventor of the pcr test i I think if I remember correctly, he like came up with the idea or it was given to him when he was like tripping on acid and it was like downloaded into his head when he was sitting in a car and he wrote it down. And um, like given how significant that test has ended up being like, that's a really interesting kind of intersection of these things. Well, and his his take on it was that it, like it shows you that there's everything exists within everything and that you can find a very hermetic like insight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, no, that's a good point too. Um let's talk about that a little bit. The the other um designs that might go into into this technology um because I think that's really important and not to be um brushed over. Mhm. Yeah, and I think uh I I should probably like I it's been a while since I've read about this, but I, I think of like Jack Parsons, who was like a dyed in the wool occultist, um, who I think I think he knew Aleister Crowley, if I'm not mistaken. And he was like the main force behind the jet propulsion labs um, until he like literally blew himself up. Um, and and so you have people and like, you know, NASA was uh, it probably still is like crawling with like very strange characters um, so it seems to be that when you like reach the limits of these technology, like the cutting edge, there seems to be like some other hands in the mix and ways that's like hard to understand, like whose motives are what and like where it's coming from. Yeah, it makes me think of actually, and I just think a lot of things make me think of this, but um, it's the same with the intelligence community, right? Mm-hmm. And it has me wondering, like, because there's a lot of people that are kind of in both the occult 
circles and the intelligence community like there's always a big overlap with that like alistair crowley is a good example but there's others um and it makes you wonder like what are these spirits up to (laughs) yeah well it's almost like you know you you uh you know you follow these these uh fields enough and like you end up bumping up against intelligence agencies and intelligence communities it's like almost like it's like I guess the way I have to understand it, because it like scares me a bit, right? I'm like, oh, the the stuff that I'm interested in kind of like bumps me into the CIA and whatever the heck they're up to, like more often than I'm comfortable with. Right. And um, I kind of wonder, I, I think about it as is in terms of like the sign Scorpio, like the astrological sign. Um, it's like the sign of hidden things. And I kind of wonder if it's like the archetypal relationship between like the hidden forces of the world which are like studied by occultists and also like political power um like they're kind of like one in the same they're both like hidden forces operating in the world that affect consciousness <laughs> yeah that's a really good that's a really good way to put it nightbirds i hope you've been enjoying the conversation so far and there's more to come but first i have to ask that you support the show As I'm sure you've noticed, there are no commercials on this show. There are no paywalls. You get everything up front. For there to be free dialogue here, I think it must remain uncaged by the interests of advertisers. But Nightbird Radio does cost time and money to make, and your support means I can spend less time delivering pizza and more time doing this. That's a win-win. So that's why Nightbird Radio is a value-for-value podcast. I hope you've found value in this show, but I can't and won't dictate just how much. Only you can decide that. But what I can do is invite you to take that value, turn it into a number, and head to www.nightbirdpodcast.com and hit the donate button located on the front page to offer your support. We're also listed on podcastindex.org, which means you are able to send Bitcoin via the Lightning Network using your favorite podcasting 2.0 apps, which can be found at newpodcastapps.com. And finally, I also accept dry goods. Email me at tim at nightbirdpodcast.com for more information. Sponsors will get a special mention on the show. Thank you for your generous support. Now let's get back to the conversation. And I think, yeah, I think with like the CIA or like the NSA, like these forces um, like influence history, usually outside of the spotlight. Like um, I think a really good example is a uh, Miles Copeland Jr. was a former CIA agent and he, he wrote about like the um, historians writing about Egypt in the 50s. And he said, these historians don't get it. Like we, like we, meaning the CIA were in Egypt and we were manipulating those events. And they like, they write the history as if there was no impact from intelligence agencies and it was entirely organic. And uh, I think about that a lot because I think it applies to like a lot of different, it's not just Egypt. It's like a lot of different um, countries and historical scenarios. Yeah. And what, like, to me, it's a bit naive to imagine that the intelligence apparatus of an empire wouldn't be instrumental 
and managing that empire's narrative like that's who you would get to do it mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah i um when I, I heard an analogy where it was like the um uh the two-dimensional plane is like the me- the world as presented by like media and then the three-dimensional object that that plane intersects is the like activities of intelligence agencies and i thought that was just perfect <laughs> yeah that's really good like the whole flatland thing mm-hmm. wow yeah and it goes into the unseen like we were talking about earlier like this this kind of extra dimensionality of this stuff and i i think that political power is involved with that too and uh, it kind of even shows up in myths like the the wizard is always next to the king like you have Merlin and Gandalf and like these characters are like very involved with uh, political power. Yeah. Gilgamesh comes to mind, right? I'm not too familiar with Gilgamesh. Is that like uh there? Um... Yeah. I think there, there's that trope exists in that myth too. Um, Dang gets old. <laughs> yeah. I, well, you know, so in, you know, I probably don't know enough to say for sure, but like in the Sumerian and Chaldean um, traditions, from what I've read, that is like the business of the king is like magic is king business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can see that in Egypt, too. Like, oh, for sure. And then that kind of over time, you can see that getting diffused down into the into the other classes to, you know, to where we are now. And it's almost um, pervasive, which gets us to an interesting uh, topic that we were discussing before we hit record, which would be the the illusion of readily available information versus the reality of of what's actually oh. available. Oh yeah, this is one of my favorite topics because, like, when you when you talk about like conspiracy type stuff with people, or like you know, you bark up that tree, or they their first reaction is like, oh, if this happened, someone would have leaked it and I would have heard about it. And I, I thought about that for a while. And it, it seems like it's this very, and I, what it seems to me is it's like a very naive view of reality. Like you're basically saying that you have enough understanding and trust in the channels of information that like all re- like all all information about extremely important events or sometimes unimportant events that are hidden would be provided to you. And the question I always want to ask somebody when they say that is what did the CIA do last year? Do you, does anyone know? Like, I, um, like I don't know. And, and there's so many things that like, just in my, like, I, I'm not anybody important. Like I just like, I read books and I'm just kind of on the sidelines, you know, doing my thing. But um, I've kind of like brushed up shoulders with some interesting like um, events and I've, I've seen, I, I obviously can't go into details, but like I've seen things in, I've seen things happen that should have been news stories that weren't and, and were totally brushed under the rug and completely disappeared. Um, and, and like, I imagine that that scales up at all levels and all locations. Like there's so much stuff going on in the world. There's so many like different conspiracies bumping up into each other that it's like, like, how would anyone have access to all that information? And in terms of like people leaking it, like, I'm sure like important information leaks all the time. It just like doesn't go through the channels. Like, I, I feel like people have this, like, because we have this mythos that we're like a democracy and like we have journalists that go and get the truth for us and that kind of thing. But 
Um, Because like when I was like, I used to be very like progressive. I used to think all of the progressive stuff, but that kind of uh, um, a lot of life experiences took that away from me. And and one, but one of the things I thought when I was a progressive was like the the news media and journalists are like, you know, basically good. They they want to get the truth and they want to bring it to people. There might be like bias towards sensationalism, but like basically that's what the world is. And I've totally shifted on that. Like, I don't think it's transparent like that at all. I I think it's, um, you're dealing with entities that, or like, maybe not entities, maybe in the supernatural sense, maybe not, but you're dealing with these, like, these organizations or this, a class of people that is, like, at best indifferent to their interests, but like, at best, at best indifferent to your interests, but they're using the news media to, further their own interests instead of like like this very idealistic view of like you know getting truth and bringing it to the people it's um their organizations designed to further the interests of an aristocracy and maybe i didn't phrase that too well but yeah like there's there's a big difference between um a world in which this information is transparent to you like you you know you read a news story and it's just kind of organically what the truth is is being brought to you versus like this is an organization with an agenda run by people who do not share my interests. Like that's a very big difference in like worldview. Yeah. And of course the um, audio kind of dropped out a little bit during the last part of what you were saying, which is about part Interesting. of the course. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's um, there's uh, sometimes you get those winks on stuff. I am. Um, yes. But yeah, like, and I think it's the same thing with social media, like the way social media is sold, like, uh, like a Twitter or a Facebook or all these things. Um, it's sold as like, this is just like random people like posting uh, what they actually think. And, you know, maybe that's a good part of it. But, you know, I think everyone at this point knows about like troll farms and like uh, influencing like whether domestic or foreign, like all of these organizations that are paid to post on social media, like a lot of it isn't organic. And boss farms. Um, yep. Yeah. Like who, right. Like I think a lot of the time the conception is that like, Oh, this is just a bunch of basement dwellers doing this, but like, okay. Yeah. Maybe some of it, but who's the one with the real motivation to do this kind of stuff? It, it's not that difficult of a question to, to answer you know um, yeah no one of oh sorry go ahead no go ahead one of I the things ask i you a question from, once you're finished with this thought though oh for sure yeah one of the things i, I picked up from michael parenti who is like a um uh i guess he was a a leftist philosopher from uh early 90s i think that's the description but uh, when he talks about the ruling class, like he says that they they don't care about your well-being, like they don't care if you're happy or healthy, but they do care about what you think. Uh, and that insight really stuck with me because that seems to be an accurate analysis. Yeah, I think that's actually incredibly like what we think is incredibly important on a, um, an energetic level and and a real, very real level. I mean, well, energy is real, but you know what I mean? On a mundane level. Um Okay, I had a question, but now you got me thinking in another direction. Um, so this is one of those things that's hard for me to see some sort of a um, 
a whoopsie behind, right? So mm-hmm. the fact that the the mainstream worldview has um gone so far towards materialism, it supports um this what you're saying here the the ability to um kind of control what people think i feel that it makes people much more easier to um to manipulate it makes their thinking easier to manipulate because it's a, you're going back to a, um to a top down distribution of knowledge mhm yeah i think that's totally it and it's and like the materialist worldview, like as a metaphysics, uh, almost like lends itself to um, like manipulation by political power. Like you said, like if you if you have an understanding of the human being as this biological robot that just kind of emerges out of the mud um, and exists for no reason. Um and is basically like a blank slate, just like a a plaything for anybody with enough skill to manipulate it. Like that's that's really good at uh, that's a really good world people view for like selling people prescription drugs. Yes, uh, it's like yep, you're a biological robot and your oil's low, so here's your subscription. Yeah, here's your update. Mm-hmm. And, and I've um, seen that language being used. Yeah, update. like the. Yeah, get your update, get your updated uh, shots, get your updated, like, um, yeah, like it, it's definitely, sorry. Your program. No, 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 I'm just, I'm agreeing. Um, and and so that's, like, people, I you know, and it's like, oh, you know, that's just, um, that's just what they're, how they're saying it. That's just a metaphor, but no, there's so much more to the way we say things and to the way we think about things and it's a lot oh sorry go ahead from well yeah someone with a magical worldview can see that the importance of the phrasing and the importance of the use of metaphor and the importance of the story that's being told whereas and i'm speaking from experience when i had a more materialist you know because i was pretty diet like I had gone into a pretty like a pendulum swing away from religion into just straight up atheist materialism where this is all for nothing. And I was never more afraid in my life, but also, um, I believed that this was it. And so there was no life before and there was no life after. And, um, it just made me, incredibly visceral which led me to hitting rock bottom and like you know gratefully uh, with gratitude i'm here now you know but um definitely not to like talk down on someone that's there but i just i think that it's a worldview that's been imposed on us with malicious intent absolutely and and the people um and I, I don't I don't want to name names because like I, I'm not too sure on my sources on this, but I've I've heard um that major players in the like skeptic movement were tied to like specifically naval intelligence. Um and, and like so there's there's definitely agenda at play here to like 
push this stuff and like where the money was coming from. And uh, like I said, I don't want to name names, but like some of the really big people in this, in the like very like skeptical, rational, like materialist, whatever you want to call it, like worldview were definitely, or as far as I can tell, very connected to the powers that be. And it's also interesting that the powers that be um, that in public, you know, will toe the line of materialist thinking, like don't seem to believe it themselves uh like i think it's fairly well known that like the queen of england uh is very interested in homeopathy and some of these like very wealthy families have like enormous collections of sumerian artifacts that have never seen the light of day like i think 90 percent of the sumerian artifacts are held outside in museums in private hands yeah i'm a totally a um the iraq war was for stargates guy so i i dig that I could totally see that because there's like pictures of like U.S. troops doing stuff in ziggurats like the the I was like, like, I don't know what they were doing in there, but like it obviously wasn't just like hanging out. (laughs) Yeah, there's some pretty interesting commentary on that. You know, it gets pretty like pretty deeply in the weird pretty quick. But, you know, that's my bread and butter. So it's just, hey, good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, me too. I um I, I try to like um cuz there's there's a kind of balance you have to have of like kind of knowing that the stuff is out there and like um but when you try and like actually untie the Gordian knot, like there's so much disinformation that it's hard to get to the core of what's happening, but so you just have to kind of like pick out these little like threads of things and be like, you know, uh here are the implications, but we kind of don't really know much more than that. I have to be um on a swivel about it um and it actually is a i find to be quite a mind expanding exercise to be able to entertain all these strange possibilities um but not to get lost in the rabbit hole it's almost Mm -hmm. like it is like a sort of like i said it's mind it's consciousness expanding in a way and i think as an animist um the implications there are even weirder, right? Because all these stories are like living threads that weave mm-hmm. their way through, right? So, like these, even if a, like an idea is, um, maybe a bit more fantastical, that doesn't preclude its reality. That there's a reason why that's being said. There's a reason why that that thread is being woven through the discourse absolutely and and uh we were just talking about this before the show start about like being open to possibilities and because i feel like um you kind of need to be able to expand your mind into that that kind of what if realm like um I, i actually decided at one like i spent just one day on this but i actually decided to look into the flat earth stuff i was like okay what are they saying i was like Cause like this, that's one of those things where it's like, you're not supposed to look here cause they're completely nuts. Um, and like nothing they say matters. And I was like, okay, well sounds like they might have something interesting to say. So I, I looked into it and the flat earth stuff is, I, I, I don't see any definitive evidence that the earth is flat. Like, I don't think they really have anything on that. But one of the things I did pick up from them, um, and well, I guess before I did that, I was like, okay, what would it mean to live on a flat earth? Like, what it would it mean if the earth was flat and these people were right? 
and you know nasa was lying about everything and like we had been given this story that is false and like i tried to like inhabit that world for a bit and then i like came out of it and i'm like you know this doesn't really work for me like i don't think the arguments for it are that strong but what i took out of it of that experience was they seem to be right that nasa lies about stuff um uh, yeah i don't I think know. so too yeah, like like they actually had some good stuff on that. And so like these this experience for me of like going into this like absolutely like derided movement like you know you you like nothing they say matters like don't listen to these people at all. Like I I was like okay, maybe there is something valuable in there and I went in and I took something valuable out of it for myself. Like you like stretch into that position and then like retract. So here's the darkest timeline. And let me ask you this. So do you think it's possible that instead of these things being hidden or um, covered or, you know, you're told not to look here, don't look here, isn't so much to hide the information behind the conspiracy or the conclusion of the conspiracy, but it is to keep you from thinking critically. It is to keep you from questioning your reality. And that, I think is, that a is much darker timeline. <laughs> I think that's totally it. And, um, you know, I think it, people often underestimate how much practice intelligence agencies have at doing these, like manipulating the mind. Um, like they have decades of research into this, a pretty much unlimited budget. Um, and like, you know, if you, if you live outside the United States, it's very clear that the U.S. military and its intelligence apparatuses are extremely dangerous. Like, if you live in Syria, like, you've watched your country get blown up or or, or Vietnam or, like, all these other places. Like, being on the receiving end of that, like, apparatus in a very, like, direct way makes it very clear how dangerous it is. And um, I think they're very, very good at like fomenting revolts. They're very, very good at like manipulating the political process. Um, but one of the things I think they do is, uh, I think they do this all the time. Uh, it's a discredit by association. Oh yeah. Um, so you like using the flat earth example, like you can't look into anything, uh, that NASA might be lying about because that puts you in the same camp as the flat earthers and you can't do that. Like that's low status. You can't go there at all so i think that's something they use very frequently they do it with the ufo stuff too and one of the most interesting ones i think is that there seems to be evidence in the method that this is like kind of what trump is too right because the things that trump rails against are actually like a lot of valid ideas right like fake news but you can mm-hmm. no longer look and say news is fake without being a Trumper. Yep. Um, the, the deep state. You can't say deep state without being a crazy Trumper. These mm-hmm. ideas that are very valid are now, by association with Donald Trump, um, off limits. Yep. That's concerning I, to me. Me too. And uh, I, I have a tidbit to share on that too. I, um, so like I said, I was raised in a very like progressive family. I, I live in a very like progressive uh, Midwestern city. And uh, my father was like the, it still is like the most progressive progressive you can get. Um, like uh, listens to all progressive news sources, all this stuff. And 
um, he, he used to talk to me about politics growing up. So I was basically like, I grew up hearing about what the Bush administration was doing, which is, I still think is horrific. And, right. but the stuff my dad was saying, he's like, oh, we should reconsider NAFTA. Uh, we should reconsider these, this, these trade agreements and all of this stuff. And it was really, really interesting for me to watch Trump in 2016 come out and say the exact same stuff that my very progressive father had been saying for years. And my father can't stand Trump, like thinks he's like evil incarnate. Right. But I, I don't think he noticed that Trump basically delegitimized a lot of the things that he felt very strongly about. Yeah, it's. It's a really concern. It's it's a very concerning sleight of hand, um, and that's a good that's a good way of seeing it because it was it. That I'm only just thinking about because of what you just said and of this the context within this conversation. Because I used to be like, well, where'd that flip come from? There was like a flip, mm -hmm. but maybe it's not so much of a flip as it is like like a sleight of hand misdirection, um, a shell game. For sure. And uh, I, I think like you can actually see this in the Obama administration, too. Um, so like one of the 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 big like don't consider this at all was like the birther movement. Like, you know, where's the birth certificate? He was born in Kenya. Like, I think all that's nonsense. Like, I don't think he was born in Kenya. But um, because of that movement, you cannot look into the like, as far as I'm concerned, the very likely possibility that Obama came from a long CIA background um like he wasn't this organic politician that you know came up out of nowhere and that he he was linked to intelligence agencies from a very young age oh yeah i think he was definitely like groomed as a cia president this is like one of my favorite conspiracies actually <laughs> yeah if you, if you look at like what's like the quizats hatterack of the cia yeah yeah exactly it was like i like you look at what his mom was doing in indonesia and like you know trying to get like these indonesian villagers um on the team of like global finance and like she was there at the exact same time that like the united states was organizing a coup against the indonesian government and i'm like if that doesn't scream cia like i don't know what does yeah she was working for like one of those cia fronts mm-hmm um yeah there's a really good article about this we actually yeah we crossed paths on this article because i was actually looking for it and you pulled it up for me yeah, yeah that's it, just like and right and so because of the birther stuff it it acts as a smokescreen because you can't question it at all but mm -hmm. i think in general this sort of division um it's really a great schism that's happening in america and I think it at some point when it and I don't know when this happened but at some point it picked up enough steam to where no matter what it is you say it's making the other side dig their heels in mm -hmm. and so it just further like it's like once something that's being torn the gravity is now able to just carry that tear down the hole of the of the whatever the cloth or whatever you know what I mean like that mm -hmm. curtain that's being torn like when that it just there's like a no turning back point yeah i feel that too and it scares me a lot because like i um like as far as what i think like i don't think this tear gets like fixed i think it just kind of continues going until like whatever because because what it seems to me is that the what the two sides 
or if there are, there might be more sides, I don't know, but like what the two main sides like can't agree on is how to use this massive government we have. Like it's this tug of war of who gets to use this enormous like state apparatus and for what purposes. And so I, I, I think the only answer to that kind of polarization is you just don't share that government anymore. Like I don't see another way out. <laughs> However, you know, smoothly or not smoothly that happens. And I think it is a matter of like warring factions, but I think that people would be really surprised to find out who is actually on the same faction. You know, like, yeah, there's so much like that whole red and blue thing is just a total. Psyop. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it's a two man grift. Yeah. Um, classic grift. Make and, you choose between two lies. <laughs> yeah. Right. And just like the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Wink, wink. I, <laughs> yep yep i um and i i can't help but thinking there's almost like a karmic thing like a national karma thing involved because like i remember in 2020 and like i don't have any basis for this this is just like a feeling that i had at the time so like you can like however want people want to take this but like i, I remember the very like tense um like time around the george floyd protests and like uh, I know there's a lot involved with that. Like there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, very important issues that were brought up uh, around like state violence and that kind of thing. But I could not shake the feeling. I was like, Oh my God, this is what it feels like when the CIA topples your government. Um, like, cause I, I remember I had a, um, I had a, a, a TA when I was in college who was from El Salvador and he was there um, during the time that both the Soviet Union and the United States were funding like different groups in the country to fight each other. And so he he said that they got so used to the gunfire that they would like him and his grandma would just sit and watch TV as the bullets flew in the background. And they weren't even trying to hit anybody like they're just shooting into the air. So the Soviet Union and the United States would send more money to keep the conflict going. Um Wow, and I, I think about that, and like, how many other countries has that happened in? Um, and so, like, the the manipulation of like you know movements in a country by intelligence agencies to further the goals of empire is like a very very old tactic of American intelligence agencies. I think it's probably a very old tactic of intelligence agencies in general, and I think it's mm-hmm. pretty. Um, it's another one of those arrogant stances to think that like oh well we do this everywhere else but we don't do that here well like yeah. it's just a matter of time like you're just the last place where it's done <laughs> like you know like that, the home country is just the last place where it happens yeah and and this is actually something else i want to talk about too like um you know growing up like i have a very like middle class background like i you know we weren't extremely wealthy but i never wanted for anything like we had very comfortably materially um and and, you know everyone at that like that level that i grew up with just kind of thinks that our politicians are like buffoons like they're all stupid and they just like don't know what they're doing there's kind of like stumbling around in the dark and like you know congress is full of idiots which sure but like i can't help but think how different that would look if you lived in iraq or you lived in Syria, or you lived in Libya, or one of these countries, or anywhere in South America, pretty much. Um, like, do those 
like you live in Peru and the DEA comes in and like sets fire to your coca plants. Um, I think they still do that. If I, I think that was a big thing in Peru, but like, you know, does that look like the action of a bumbling fool? Um, like that, does that look like somebody that doesn't have a plan um, of some kind? Like, even if the plan goes belly up halfway through, like, you know, does that look like somebody acting without intent? Like, I, I certainly right. don't think so. It more looks like the act of a rival. So, like, this mm-hmm. a rival drug dealer. <laughs> yep, yep, rival like cartel and like. Um, speaking of like the the kind of, you know line of information like one of the stories i remember hearing was uh this was a ca agent who uh everything's on a need to know basis like you know basically nobody has the whole operation but he was flying in a plane for like the drop things off in cuba and after the like uh communists took over in cuba and he i think he accidentally like broke open a box that they were supposed to put in cuba and um ticks came out and uh, one of the ticks ended up biting him. And I, I think that um, that experience led to him sharing the poison or the disease or whatever these ticks were carrying with his, his wife and children. And so, and this is what they were going to drop on Cuba. And, and he was the only person that leaked that story. Like the only reason that we know about that operation was because this one guy spoke up. And it was even an accident that he kind of got the whole picture of the operation altogether just because he got like literally bit by it. Um, I got a, I, I'm, I'm reporting that from memory. I don't actually. No, um, I remember this. I remember hearing yeah. about this, not like necessarily the details, but that's an interesting point um, about not seeing the whole picture until you get bit by it. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. seems to be one of those ways in which I want to use a good like a Lord of the Rings reference, right? One of the ways in which the will of Iluvatar comes through out of the greatest evil, how good is born out of that, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's some point where getting bit by it wakes me up. Mm-hmm. And that had to happen to me too. Um, it happened to me in a lot of different places. It happened to me with drugs and alcohol. And it happened to me in uh, this sort of thinking, you know, because I was, I was basically always just repeating what everyone else around me was saying. I was like just a node in this game of telephone, and I never thought about, um, about you know what it is I was actually saying or espousing. It was just like who has the most influence on my life, and I'm just going to repeat what they say, and that's just you know probably just like a one of the lessons of this life for me that i've had to overcome you know but i i wouldn't have ever come out of that if i hadn't uh, somewhere been bitten um by by it whatever it is you know do you want to get in on the conversation i've teamed up with numenots to offer you the opportunity to do just that for only a dollar a month you'll get access to numenots.club a Mastodon server for animists and artists that brings together the Nightbird Radio and Soapbox podcast communities. Just click the link that I've provided in the show description to get started. Now let's get back to the conversation. And that's a great metaphor because like, uh, I had a similar experience along these lines. Like, uh, um, My family was one of the 
many that was um, nearly destroyed by the financial collapse in 2008. And I remember that very clearly. Like I, I was like, Oh my God, like these people who I don't know who are doing all of this stuff and have been for years, like, you know, messing with the markets and all this other kind of stuff, like brought down my family. Um, I never did anything to them. I have no impact on them. They don't know I exist, but like the movements that they make have an impact on me. And that, that was a, that happened when I was pretty young and that experience was like, has, has stayed with me. (laughs) Yeah. If I could share too. um, so this one actually, it's interesting because it intertwines like all this stuff. Um, but one of the ways I got bit early on and I'm so grateful for this now even though it cost me a lot of hardship and a lot of difficulty it's all been um instrumental in in bringing me to where i am at this moment but i was prescribed um you know strong speed uh in about first grade and we know there's different names for these drugs and there's different brands and there's different formulas but um in my case it was ritalin and then adderall and these are amphetamines. Um, they're amphet salts, whatever. You know, it's a it's a pretty arbitrary distinction. But in my case, that set the stage for like a really long and torrid love affair with stimulants. That was my shit, man. Uh, and it brought me on my knees eventually. You know what I mean? But it, it took me a long time before being able to see this um this monster for what it was which was the, the pharmaceutical industry just being able to sell so to sell with impunity these type of drugs to parents um and now it's even worse right because if you watch tv which you know to cross yourself before you do <laughs> yes. um, like dude all the commercials are about drugs and it's all these weird uh syndromes that are probably caused by the other drugs anyway um that's a tangent but anyway it's a good one though and we'll get into it because i think it's like i think it's um a continuation of of some of these ops um some of these but so for me i wouldn't have been able to see what's going on now if that hadn't happened to me then and it's it's put a distrust for pharmaceutical companies that it's been ingrained in me and thank God for that because I can see Mm -hmm. because it bit me. Yeah, I totally hear you. And, um, and given the last uh, couple of years, um, and, and, you know, I think like when I, when I try to talk to, to people about this, who don't really, who haven't been bit by it or haven't admitted that they've been bit by it. Um, they, they seem to think it's like, Oh, like these, I don't know. The reaction I seem to get is like, Oh, why are they suddenly the bad guys? Like, it's like these, these doctors and nurses and, you know, my, my brother is a doctor, this kind of thing. Like they, they've been trying to help us. And, you know, I'm not saying that everybody in the industry is like a bad person. That's not the case, but like the, um, the industry itself has a long history of harming people for power and profit. Um, and that goes back 
many, many years. Like you can look at even the opium wars. And I, I actually found it really valuable of like being able to like show this history that like Britain, like for example, like Britain was fighting the Chinese government at the time to continue selling opium in China to both pacify the population and also make a boatload of money. Um, and, and that happened 200 years ago, 200 something years ago. So it, this stuff has been going on a, a long, long time. And, and, and yeah, that very I, thing is just happening. It's just, um, it's happening on different uh, fronts now, you know? Yeah. There's no more being waged on our, on the population of America by at least, I'm not gonna. I can't say for sure, like state or corporation, but I at least one of each. <laughs> yep, yep. Right. And it's like I, and I, I don't know. It's just like life in the modern United States. Like who's who's coming after us now? Is it our government? Is it the pharmaceutical companies? Is it a foreign government? Is it all three? Like, is it, is it like, a, a corporation run amok? It's very hmm. much like this. It's very. It, <laughs> Without trying to get too negative on it, it's more dystopian, I think, than people will see. And I think mm -hmm. it's actually more post-apocalyptic than people will see as well. But that's a whole other. Oh, that that is something else I want to talk about, too. Like, you're, you're hitting all my notes here. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Because, uh, like, you, you grow up in the United States and you hear about, like, the two big things you hear about are, um, like, like, competing systems or whatever. Or you hear about Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union. And you look at those two systems, like these were totalitarian systems, like nobody had any freedom, whereas we in the United States have freedom and like we can choose what news sources we want or like all of this stuff, like we're something like fundamentally different than either of those two other like um, systems. And I think one of the big things for me in like my own journey, like and how I relate to like political power is like we're actually not that different. Um, we are just as, if not more dangerous than the governments of Nazi Germany or the Soviet Union. Like we, in the United States, we have more people incarcerated than anyone else in the world. Um, and I think what makes it hard to see that is like the United, the American empire is so big and so rich and so powerful, like probably more powerful and rich than any other empire in history, arguably, like it's so big and so loud that it's like hard to see that there's anything outside of it. Um, and they've got great PR. Well, they have yes. uh, up until recently. And, and that's just what culture is. <laughs> it's just the PR of an empire. For sure. I I've taken to calling um, uh, our news media, state media. Cause I really think that it is. And, and like people will call it like, you know, the corporate media or like, you know, just the, the liberal media or like, you know, pick your kind of label. But the reason I say state media is because that's the one thing that in the United States, we're told that we do not have, we do not have a state media, like our media is all these independent organizations that just try and like, you know, do their own thing. And I don't think that's the case at all. <laughs> yeah. And there's a, there's way more, um, um, jumping back and forth between those two, than people think for instance just like people getting political positions and then when those positions or appointments run up going to work for these corporations and then just doing that over and over again right um, yep and you can see that's not hidden that's just out for everyone to see but it's just oh of course you would do that you know what i mean why why wouldn't you right like 
Um, I just go ahead. Oh, I was just I was just reading an article about how a lot of like Facebook's content moderators are quote unquote ex uh, CIA officers. Um, yeah, like there's a revolving. There's no ex CIA officers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you got like Anderson Cooper. He's like, oh yeah, he like interned at the CIA and and went to Vietnam, and then he decided to work in news or something. I'm like, did he stop working for the CIA? Like, what year was that? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a pretty um, common trick, I think. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Continue though. You you had yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know what it was. It was um, I actually, funny enough, wanted to go back to flat Earth. Because I think one of the things is and not and this is my trying to go positive a little bit on it, because one thing I do want to talk about as well is like what can be done in the face of all this, because it can be very harrowing for people. Um mm-hmm. and you know, I don't I don't neglect other disciplines and hygienes. And that's why I'm able to do this stuff without lo- to think about this stuff without losing my mind. But mm-hmm. as a sort of segue to that. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting about the flat earth stuff is that I think one of those underlying truths that's being obfuscated by the PSYOP is the fact that this place is not what we think it is, or there's more to it than what we are allowed to know. Yeah, I think that's totally it, because part of the reason I I looked into Flat Earth is um, I wasn't, I don't feel satisfied with the explanation of like official official cosmology. And and we're we're hitting all the heresies here, right? Like political, biological, like biology, physics, like all of this stuff. So like, let's do cosmology. Dude, let's do Um, all of it. This is what we're here for. This is this podcast. I'm so glad that we're having this conversation. Continue. Yeah, me too. Like, I, I'm not satisfied with the, you know, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I'm not satisfied with the rocks in space thing. Um, like, that's part of it, sure. But I don't know. It's just, I, I don't feel comfortable with it. Like, I, I feel like there's more going on in like the cosmos and with the stars. And then that model really catches. Um and it seems like there's something missing from that picture. Like it seems misdescribed to me. And like, I, I'm not going to go from that to say like, I totally know the answer. Cause I, I like, I don't, <laughs> I have some suspicions, but, um, and like, I definitely think there are other worlds out there. Like there, you know, are other systems and that kind of thing, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like, do you have any good takes like on that? Uh, that's it's a it's a really tough subject because you're going against like you know years of of NASA knows everything kind of thing. Yeah, this is one that makes you sound real crazy too. Uh, yeah, this and like somehow evolution because I kind of push back on that too. But like, I'm a more morphogenetic fields guy. But, Me too. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so okay, so part yeah, I'm dissatisfied by the rocks in space thing too, because I think there's just too much that, um, that adds up too nicely. Like just the idea of an eclipse, you know, we just had some eclipses and just the idea that the moon is the perfect distance to where it actually does, um, cover up the sun. Like it's the same size in the sky as the sun and is able to do that. Like that to me is like, um, that's like mm, i don't know man that's too good 
<laughs> yeah, me, yeah, I was. You know? Oh, can I? So I, uh, yeah. I can't fully endorse this because I don't know, and I have not. I've barely spent any time on it. But since since we're going here, I want to bring it up. Um, I just listened to a random podcast about um, Tycho Brahe's cosmology. And he, the uh, the cosmology that he put forth, which was the accepted cosmology in Europe for a number of years, uh, like a couple hundred years ago, was a, um, I, I'm going to screw up this name, um, but a geo um, geoheliocentric model. So this is, uh, I'm, I fully accept that I'm going to sound crazy here, but that's fine by me. I love going to the, the far out places. Um, so Tycho Brahe argued that the sun goes around the earth and all the other planets go around the sun and that the sun, that our solar system is a binary system with the two primary components being the sun and Mars. Um, and I can send you some stuff on this that I found super interesting. This is really cool. And I used to really dig Tycho Brahe um, in school and I can't really remember why. I just remember like partially I just like the name. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool name and it's, it means fortune like Tyche or victory, oh, nice, like uh, yeah. luck. Yeah, the, I named um, someone after him in one of my um, stories I was writing in college, actually, funny enough. Oh, that's interesting. That's a good synchronicity. Like, yeah. uh, I'll definitely send you some stuff on this. Um, but yeah, he. it's interesting because like uh, in astronomy, we're like finding that um, all of the stars in our neighborhood, from what I hear, are binary systems because you have like Sirius A and Sirius B. And so like we're finding binary systems all over the place, but our system isn't binary. Um and Tycho Brahe basically said that it was, but I, I think where Ty Tycho Brahe, where I've heard that he missed the calculation, is he had he had the Earth as immobile, but it's not. Um, so it's uh, his system wasn't perfect, but it it seems to be from what I hear, like the math adds up better than the Copernican model. Um, and uh, what this would also mean is that the stars are actually a lot closer than current cosmology suggests because the way the distance of stars is calculated is based on the assumption that the earth is traveling at very very high speeds um and so if that changes and the stars end up a lot closer than they were and that seems more satisfying to me for some reason like like i yeah. said i can't i can't totally like plant my flag on this and be like you know this is what's happening uh because i don't know but i i thought that was another like tidbit another like stretching into ex mind expanding and being like what would this mean if this is true Especially since I do think there are nuts and bolts like aliens like, yeah. coming and going. So like it makes it make more sense. Um okay. That's really fascinating and I'm gonna have to like look into that. Um it makes, You're me, like, think I of, was... it makes me think of the serious stuff too. Like, you know, um you know what I'm talking about? Like there's this mm -hmm. kind of like serious current in in occultism that and, and the, the Dogon I think believed that like like i think sirius and earth were once like part of a, the same binary system or something i can't please do not quote me on this because i'm definitely grasping from just what i've heard but there's some part of the mythology where it's like sirius was once like bound in a very important way to our solar system yeah they um I, I don't know too many of the details, but I do know that the CIA confiscated the anthropological research on the Dogon. Apparently that's like missing now because the CIA took it. I, I don't have a direct source on that right now, but See, you know, this you brings just us back to, things. and that brings us back to what we were talking about 
before we hit record about the like anything that has a don't and we mentioned this in terms of flat earth but i'm just going to reiterate it that everything mm-hmm. that has that finger point it's a finger pointing at it that says don't look at it but all i'm seeing is the finger pointing at it right yep yeah same here and um what uh what i have heard about the dogon is uh of uh western africa is they they um they knew that Sirius was a binary system, even though that cannot be determined from a visual right. like assessment, um, which is really interesting. And that's one of those things where it's like, I don't know what the answer is, but it's going to be cool. <laughs> yeah. I d- okay. So and th- another part for me that it, the idea of the stars being closer, I like... Um, I also am just kind of one of those like stars are alive people. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> as crazy as that sounds, it's hard to deny if you, if you look at it a certain way, you know, they breathe, they have some sort of metabolism, they, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we're just totally wrong about them, mm-hmm. uh, about the very nature of stars in general. The idea that there are some sort of prolonged explosion is just really unsatisfying to me. Um, mm-hmm. Me too. But I also think that some of where this goes is this idea of scarcity and um, of scarce resources that I think, you know, the earth might be bigger than they say it is or something like there's something more going on because all of these narratives that are the commonly accepted mainstream narratives fit into this idea of like there's scarce resources, there's scarce room. There's going to be too many people. There's not enough. There's not enough. There's not enough. And I don't believe that to be Mm -hmm. true in any measure of, like, I think there's infinite energy within every little speck of reality that's just exploding with energy. I think the, the field stuff, and we can go into that is, is very compelling when it comes to that sort of um, model. And I just don't believe in scarcity. I just, I don't, um, well, it's funny that the people who like seem to be the most concerned about scarcity are the people who've had more than anybody else in history. <laughs> yeah, what is that? Yeah, like what's like the you you have this like billionaire talking about oh overpopulation and use too many resources. I'm like, you're the guy with eight houses. Like what? Yes, right. And so it's so, but that that um totally fits into to w- what I think is going on there, which is that scarcity it that's where greed comes from. Like they're one in this, like that scarcity Mm -hmm. mentality and greed kind of like are two sides of the same coin and that they exist like as a result of, or uh, with each other somehow. Um, Because I think it's, it's one of those concepts that's alien. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we've talked about this before, you know, trying to pinpoint like the moment that, um, the alien that is empire um, entered this world. Like when did that happen? Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's <clears throat> sort of the same concept as with Tico. It's not, I don't think it's native to this world. I don't think it's yeah. native to this reality. Maybe I think it's a, it's something from outside and, you know, we can get into Gnosticism if we want, but I know that that's a conversation that we've had before. And so I just find it interesting that we come back to that. For sure. And I, uh, I think it ties back into both cosmology and like what you're saying about like a way out, like, uh, like what is the way out of this like totally encompassing system? And I think with like the, the cosmology component is if you look at the, um, 
the current story of empire we have this kind of managerial like we're going to manage everything perfectly using computers and we're going to like you know control all these and track everything um and we're going to spread out to the stars and you know take that stuff too um like that that story is really rooted in a cosmological understanding of you know who we are and where we are and you know everybody learns about uh copernicus and kepler and galileo in school like um our our self-understanding is very much connected to what we think the universe is and if it's just the like the rocks in space thing like you're just going to give all of your power to the people who say like i'm the best person at manipulating rocks in space because that's all yes. there is and that's all that matters and so and like what you're saying about the stars being alive like i i think that like that starts to be the way out is like you know living in a different world living in a, a living in the actual world maybe was a better way of phrasing it than yes. than living in this the system um and recognizing that the system is not the way things are, but rather a tool of of power to maintain its own interests. And um, I was actually just reading uh, about the the uh, the myth. Um, I think of the sword of Damocles, um, and it. So there was a, a rich man who had a, a number of servants, and you know he had a lot of power and everything. And uh, one of his his. Uh, this is an ancient myth so there there's definitely that like kind of spin on it but like you know i think one of the people under him was like you know you you have it so good like you you know have all of these resources and people waiting on you hand and foot and uh and so the rich man was like okay like i'll create an experience for you that you know mirrors my experience so he told his servants to wait on this guy hand and foot you know gave him all of this stuff like all of his toys all this food uh and then the um the rich man hung a sword above his head hanging by one hair uh that so it could fall at any time and the the man who was like using all of his servants and everything had to stay under the sword and then the guy i said i you know i can't enjoy any of this while the sword is hanging over my head and then the rich man said yeah now you understand what it's like to be in power like, I don't think these people are happy at all. Like, I don't think they enjoy all the stuff that they have. I think they just, it's that consuming, that like wanting more and more and more. Um, and, oh, uh, this is a total like tangent going back to where we were earlier, but I wanted to mention Please. it. Um, yeah, you mentioned the moon and the eclipse of the earth. Apparently, um, I'll get I'll get you the info on this, but apparently, like the orbits of each planet are like somehow all perfect multiples of the moon's orbit or something like that. I might be just making that up or like misinterpreting it. But like there's there's a a central importance of the lunar in the in the Brahi model, there's like a central importance to the the moon in that system, uh, which I think will be really interesting to explore. Well, I think that makes some more sense um with astrology too. And so like yeah that's very interesting as well like um a science that takes all these other sciences into account and doesn't discredit them because when you when you brush aside all this valuable data you just end up with dumb shit like dark matter but um yeah yeah like uh so yeah but like in astrology the idea of the planetary energies being sort of filtered through um the moon 
and mm-hmm. and the faces of the moon and where it's at and uh, I'm an astrologer could probably say you know better what the deal is there but um that's cool that's interesting yeah and um i oh man i just thought i forgot what i was gonna say i have so many thoughts circling yeah, you're in my good head. <laughs> yeah yeah i've had a bunch that like i'm like damn we're gonna have to come to that and i i'll remember them all once we're done talking i'm sure yeah me too the uh what is it the, the french term the spirit of the staircase where you like realize like something awesome that you had and like yeah the costanza mm-hmm. <laughs> the yeah I, i'm really costanza. glad you brought up I'm really glad you brought up cosmology though, because like I, I, I just learned about Brahe's system like a week ago and I'm like, Oh my God, this sounds too crazy to share with any other human. I'm just going to like sit on it until it explodes. <laughs> um, and it's interesting too, right? Cause I'm there's, I'm pretty sure multiple things named after him. Like he's a very famous astronomer. But if you can't, if you mentioned his theories, you would be, you know, called a flat earther probably or something by someone yep. that doesn't know anything about them. Exactly. And, and, and so it's, it's like, interesting. A, that's it's one of those, prejudice. Yeah. It's one of those don't look here things. Uh, yeah. It's like, um, but I, I just remembered I was going to say actually, because like talking about like a way out, um, it seems to me like every time, like, cause, cause the empire has its narrative, like these are the important scientists and there's the ones who discovered the true things. And like, these are the guys that you have to listen to. If you look closer at each of them, you'll see like another option that was involved. Like, uh, Kepler, uh, was actually a student of Brahe. Um, and there's rumors around that he might've poisoned him. Um, and Kepler actually took Brahe's work and changed a bunch of the calculations in it to make it fit his theories of how the universe works. Um, wow. And uh, the same thing happens with Darwin. Um, like Darwin was the person who discovered evolution by natural selection, but the second person who discovered it uh, independently of Darwin was Alfred Russell Wallace. And in the 19th century, uh, the theory of evolution was known as the Darwin-Wallace theory of evolution. And Wallace, um, he believed in evolution by natural selection, but he also believed that living systems had what he called innate intelligence. And he believed that like that was a major factor in evolution was the innate intelligence of living systems. But uh, he ended up spending the last part of his life researching psi phenomenon and uh, life after death. And that got him almost kicked out of the Royal Academy. They're going to like strip him of his pension, but he was defended in court by Darwin himself. Um, so like, and then you, you look at like electricity, you have like Edison is the one that everyone knows, but Tesla was the one that was like, I think closer to the truth. So it seems like there's like a syzygy, like every time you see like the the kind of, if I could be courageous and say the bad option, there's like a good option right alongside it. Oh, the idea of the syzygy is good because that just echoes back through time to the very foundations. I like it. And um, agnostics, like the the archons, each of the archons has a like, or the the aeons are in syzygy with each other. Right, and so um, what caused this predicament that we're in now in Gnosticism? was Sophia emanating without her consort, without her syzygy. Mm -hmm. So it's like this idea of sort of an imbalance being um, 
brought into the world. And I yes. think that's like in the story of Empire because you have like these this like string of scientists that are responsible for the material worldview. A lot of them were occultists. Um, a lot of them like had very different ideas than what like because you know Newton discovers physics, but he actually considers alchemy more important. Yeah, it was like his side. Physics. It was like his side project. Alchemy was his main thing. Yep, and you don't hear about that in school. And his like Newton's family like kept that secret for like hundreds of years. Um, but yeah, like you, you get this story, but then you, you look at the story and you see that there's like a, another option at each point. Like there's another road that you can take, um, uh, uh, in, um, microbiology you have Pasteur and then Bouchard, I think his name is Bouchard, um, the terrain theorist guy, like, yeah, you have that other road. Yeah. Which gives you a fuller picture. Like there's probably something of a synthesis involved that gets you close and in, in mm -hmm. all of those right that gets you closer to to the reality of it if that is even constant <laughs> yeah i i it's a it's kind of like in the corpus hermeticum like bring together in yourself all opposites of quality i like it so yeah that that idea of a way out is a good um a good thread that's a good way for you to put it um so let me ask you this. What kind of things do you do? What praxis do you have in your life to kind of keep you um, from falling too deeply into the rabbit hole? If I can ask, or do you? I do. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like the... Um, uh, well, I feel like the number one thing is to have an anchor somewhere. Like in like a a worldview sense or like a belief sense, like ha have something that you're not going to let go of that is like you think is good and beautiful and true. Because I think if you dive into conspiracy stuff with like a, a mostly like materialist worldview, um, I think you'll just get swallowed by it because you'll look at these people who have all this money and all this power and all these crazy weapons that could destroy the planet, however many times over. And you'll be like, wow, it's, it's hopeless. Like I can't do anything against that. And, you know, in the materialist world, you couldn't, but that's not the world we live in. So I think the number one thing is to, like, realize that you live in a different worldview and different world than the one they're telling you that you do. And at least like that, this is what works for me anyway. Like, I, I'm a really strong believer in that everybody has like a core identity, like a true self, and that that core identity is good. Um, and I think you could read that into a number of different religions. I would even read it into Buddhism to, to risk the anger from that, uh, sector. But, um, yeah, I, I think that everybody has this, this connection to like goodness within themselves. And I, I think the way that you find that is you realize that a bunch of stuff in your head isn't really you. Like, you know, everybody has thoughts and, um, you know, you could read like sigh into this too. Like everybody has like thoughts and impressions and stuff like that that don't really come from them. And so it's, I think it's a, the work of like realizing that, you know, there is a true self that is good. And like, if these thoughts are like stressful or like, you know, kind of um, limiting or you can release them, like there's a self that is totally released and totally free uh, and realizing that that's there already. And so I, I practice a lot of like meditation along those lines. And um, 
I, I also believe that like goodness is a real force in the world. Um, and I, I think back to Lord of the Rings, um, like, I think that's a really good guide for this time. Like, um, one of the examples I always think of is, um, uh, in the fellowship of the ring, like, uh, Mary and Pippin, like, weren't supposed to be there. Like their presence in the fellowship was an accident, uh, or a, a quote unquote accident. And it was because they were there that Saruman didn't end up getting the ring. Um, and this isn't really explained in the movies too much, I think, but they, um, when the Urukai kidnap Merry and Pippin, they thought they had the only two halflings because that's what the information that Sauron had. So he had a limited picture of the system. He said, there are two, get them, bring them here and missed the, getting the actual ring. So that like, quote unquote, accident, the thing that like didn't go according to plan, like people being in the right place at the right time, just by serendipity or providence or whatever you want to call it, um, derailed the bad guy's plans. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. That's a really good, I, yeah, I never thought of that. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. Yeah. I, I like this because, um, I think it's one of those situations in which the answer that comes is both how it it's it turns out that the answer for how to keep myself sane is also the answer for what can i do about it like what yes okay so how do i stay sane but then also like what do i do about these things right and, mm -hmm. and they're the same side of the same coin um oh i love that me, in a very similar way it's like the practice of gratitude like so if it even if it's difficult sometimes I practice gratitude for these systems, for these beings, for these, um, these, you know, a lot of the times terrible things that are happening in the world because, um, they're all in a way like teaching mm -hmm. or, you know, they had to have the experience of being so nasty. And I'm grateful that they took that on themselves because I do believe in like the soul contract and stuff, but that's like, you know, a whole nother conversation. Like we, you know, I think I, I mean to be here and I think I'm here intentionally. Um, but yeah, that's another medicine. Like, and you know, so that's not to me so much. People are like, yeah, but how can you know that? How can you believe that? Well, it's like really not as much a matter of belief as it is a practice, right? Mm -hmm. Like I practice thinking that way and it transforms, um, my reality yeah it, it makes it like um because I, I feel like maybe. yeah and that's that's beautiful i love that and it um it really connects back to materialism because like if you're if you're a being that you know exists for no purpose you know you came into existence randomly and you you know life gets snuffed out at the end like you know you're you're really not in a position to not be afraid like I, I think of that lonely island song like yolo like you only live once build a bomb shelter in your basement with titanium walls <laughs> like <laughs> yeah like if, if you realize that like you didn't begin with your birth and you don't end with your death like you you can you can loosen the grip a little bit you can realize that like there are more forces at play than you know, it's like Lord of the Rings again, like there, there's more at work in the world besides the good of evil. And I think the the good operates in very subtle ways and it operates like more interpersonally than through these large systems. <laughs> yeah. And, um, 
it seems as though like it's interesting right because i grew up i know being taught that like there's this benevolent god that's pulling all the strings to everything and and that god's will is what's guiding everything but and this may just be my more gnostic take on things now but it's actually also very lord of the rings like you're saying where the 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 manifestation of the benefic spirits often um shows itself through the actions of people whereas yeah. the more malefic are operating at this top down level and at this very controlling dominating level and um that's not doesn't seem to be a coincidence right yeah and it's kind of like with uh i i yeah i love that it's it's like with um elrond like he when he sends the fellowship off he doesn't lay an oath on like no oath binds you and then the the syzygy of that or maybe that's the wrong word but the counterpart of that is like one ring to in the darkness to bind them so there's a yeah and that's why they were because they chose a fellowship of nine because they were nine riders right like Mm -hmm. nine for nine yeah so good it's so good just like mind-blowingly awesome at every term yeah um (laughs) and there's also the um one of these little details that i love so much that's like not talked about in the book at all. Well, it is, but you have to be like deep in the lore to even hear them talking about it, right? It's one of those things where like there's multiple things going on at every passage of that book. But the ring that Gandalf wears is the ring, I believe it's Naria, the fire ring. I forgot which one he has. And they call it the Kindler. And it uh, basically gives it gives the bearer the ability to like um start these groundswell movements in people to like inspire people to be and so that uh, you see Gandalf doing that like he's riding around like kindling the fires and you mm-hmm. see it um kind of literally in the the beacon fires right but yeah oh yeah, yeah. oh that's so cool yeah it definitely would be fire then and it's like um and yeah finding like that interpersonal level like the the people that no one would expect would have these like enormous impacts on the world <laughs> yes they're doing it at the um At the ground level, I don't know what you call it, right? Like the that might be too mundane of a. I, I like Gordon uh, White's at the level of the field is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I feel like um because if you're operating in that materialist worldview, like the answer to evil people doing evil things is I'm going to make an organization and we're going to get a lot of money and we're going to take it to them or something or we're going to vote someone in or or something like that. Uh, and if you play that game, I feel like on that, based on that metaphysics, um, you're going to end up in the exact same place that the people in charge are right now. Yep. You're just building another vessel to be filled with that being, whatever it is. Um, it's the Philip K. Dick thing that I always come back to this. It's just like, seems to be just true at a baseline level is, you know, to fight the empire or to seek to defeat it is to become deranged by its by its madness or i'm misquoting but it's great yeah and and uh uh, that's another thing i wanted to talk about like what the the archons are and i tend to before we do that can i pee real quick yeah yeah sure let's say take a quick break yeah let's take a quick break and then we'll get into that because this is this is good shit okay cool yeah it's awesome be right back back and ready to go 
Yeah, I actually remembered while um, I was peeing that um, when Gandalf is facing the Balrog in Moria, what he says is actually a reference to that ring. He says, um, I'm a servant of the secret fire, a wielder of the flame of Arnor, a servant of the secret fire. Like, well, that's a, a reference to Iluvatar, right? But the flame of Arnor is the, mm-hmm. the ring. And um, this idea that of the secret fire is, is really important to me. Um, the Gnostics would call it the divine spark. Uh, and that's, it can't be seen. It's invisible. It's within. So what is visible seems to be the archons. Not that everything visible is an archon, mm-hmm. but the archons are incredibly visible. They're very out, mm-hmm. even if they, though they are a bit secretive, their influence is out in the open. So let's talk a little bit about the archons. What are the, what, like that's a hypostasis of the archons, right? What, what are they? That's brilliant. Um, so this this is kind of like my my personal take on the archons. I I feel like um, they are. So I, I kind of subscribe to the idea that every energy is a person and every person is an energy. And I kind of think that archons, like uh, as as persons, as these kind of beings, are are like a. I don't want to use personification because that implies that I'm like attributing personhood to the something that doesn't have it. But I think they are the persons of our like collective belief systems. Um, so, so like in Catholic Europe, um, in the Middle Ages, like the Archon is uh, God the Father of the Catholic Church, and it, it's kind of this like. Um, so the Archons are kind of in us and in society at the same time, like as within, as without. Like they, they're kind of these belief structures that a lot of people hold at the same time um, that are alive somehow. That's what I think they are. And I I think that's why it's so hard or impossible to like beat them at their own game because they like, they literally are that thing. Like they literally are the power structure. So if you like enter into that power structure, like, you know, I'm going to make a environmental NGO and we're going to save the world. Like you're entering into that belief system uh, and so you're on their territory, and there's nothing that you can do but succumb to that belief system. Yeah, consensus reality, and therefore, like a very real aspect of reality is made of them. They are the, you know, um, like Abraxas is the 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 very fabric of the cosmos, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's also useful for me um, nowadays, especially to see them as um as not like fundamentally evil right um Mm -hmm. but like blind and then you know there Mm -hmm. are there are parts uh in certain gnostic texts too where the the they're redeemed for instance sabaoth in um i don't even remember which one it is it might be the secret book of john or the hypostasis of the archons i can't remember which um where Sabaoth actually sees what's going on and is like, no, I'm not doing this. Like, and uh, like rebels and joins the side of, um, of the, the Aeons. Right. And so, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, they're like, and, and that's just useful for me because 
it's so easy to like then do the same thing it's easy to fall in the trap of projection if i'm mm-hmm. doing like living in this black and white binary even with something like an archon right like and i think a lot of the times you know they do present as evil but i think only so much as and that's that's a really astute point that you made about them being kind of inside us and outside of us at the same time because i think they are a reflection um and i think in mm-hmm. a lot of ways we are the archons um mm-hmm. like they they kind of seem to be this energy of like collective human movements or beliefs like i think the the archon of china might be different from the archon of the us or you know whatever country you want to do but like they what they share is that they have this this power structure that like enough people give energy to for it to sustain itself yeah they work through that uh, and mythopoesis yeah and i one of the really big things that i like so i i grew up progressive and i i, I I don't even know what to call myself now. Like I, I'm not a conservative. Like what am I conserving? Like what is there to conserve? <laughs> um, but and I don't um, see eye to eye with them either. I'm like one of the ends. Yeah. I'm on no side because no one is on my side. Yeah. That's how I feel too. And I, uh, when I was a progressive, I was like, I had this like very idealistic understanding of what the government is. Like I was like, Oh, the government is the thing that comes in and fixes everything and doesn't need money. Cause it like has all the money. And I kind of realized through direct engagement with it, that like the government, just like any other organization that humans create attempts to sustain and expand itself. Um, just like a corporation, just like a religion, like, just like all of these things, like they, they have a kind of life force that they attempt to perpetuate and it's kind of like you know when everyone is a member of a company like you know in your role as a member of that company you help to try and like perpetuate the existence of that organization um and you follow yeah, so it's like an egregore that kind of thing mm-hmm. so that being said i do and you know this might be the exception that proves the rule if that even is a sensical um turn of phrase i never even quite really understood it but um as a paradox it works um that being said there is this an archon this particular archon right now that seems to be even beyond any of that or i don't i'm probably mm-hmm. not putting this right like there's it's something and I don't know if it's like a tech archon or what it is, but it's just like I see it as this just it's like the nothing from never ending story. Mm-hmm. It's like this grayness that wants to subsume everything and it's particularly nasty, I think. And I, I said this on my last episode and I'll say it again now, but um I think that these our current woes are the expression of like something that's being purged from our world mm-hmm. as something that's yeah. like, the expression of something leaving the world. It's like an immune response of the world against this thing that just doesn't belong anymore. And that's like what mm-hmm. this archon is. Now, how long that's going to take? I don't know, but um, that's my optimistic take on it. Um, 
what do you we've talked about this some but yeah if you do you want to take that ball and run with it or what do you think on that yeah i can totally yeah i am i feel like i've encountered this being before and i am it, it actually happened several years before 2020 i think when i'd like kind of backdate this like i was like oh that was that um i dreamed i this had to be like 2012 i don't remember the year but um i dreamed i was in this like techno realm where everything was dead and thin and like had no depth to it and was just like and and i felt this presence this like horrible horrible evil um that wanted to make the entire world like this so I, i know exactly what you're talking about and um i think i i it feels like a she to me um have have you seen the movie i robot yeah i've read the story too yeah the uh vicky at the end that's how i picture her Mm. she's like you are so like children and you need to be taken care of and i will make everything nice for you yeah there's Um, definitely that like i'm protecting you from this ickiness of life this ickiness of of incarnation like you don't have to yeah there's definitely a sense of that there like you won't have to hurt anymore. You won't have to mm-hmm. be dirty anymore. And yeah, in that way, in your... it's like almost this, like it's doing it for your own good. Mm-hmm. The devouring mother. Yeah. I also think, and about I think it... it's go ahead, go ahead. Oh, it's all right. No, go ahead. No, I'm going to form my thought while you continue speaking. I, I feel like, this archon this the archon of this age is like different than any prior one like it it definitely doesn't seem like the kind of like it's something totally maybe not totally new but very new this this kind of like pacification instead of like dominance and domineering violence it's this kind of pacifying violence it's like we're gonna make everything nice and calm and no one will ever be mean again and like you'll be safe with me like it's more horrifying like what we're seeing now is how a war is fought under that paradigm of pacifying Mm -hmm. violence that's a really good way to put it so all the war like i'm one of those people that thinks that we like oh everyone's like when's world war three like you're in it it's happening now it's already going on and what how it works Mm -hmm. is it's not open violence it's all this under the surface stuff. It's like mm-hmm. uh, clandestine attacks on energy things, uh, cyber attacks, biomedical interventions, um, chemical warfare, opium war stuff. Like, which, in a way, it's like this thing can't help itself, and it's making it so much worse to where it's like it's going to collapse everything. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting that uh, the way people talk, going back to AI, like the way I, this thing feels very technological, very cyber yeah. to me. And the way people talk about like the the potential of AI, like the kind of singularity people, they're like, oh, it'll, it'll be able to bring people back from the dead. Like Ray Kurzweil says that he expects to resurrect his dead father using this technology and live forever and all that stuff. Like the, all the promises that the AI community or whatever you want to call it movement makes um are making the same promises that 
uh, God makes. Like, you'll be oh, satisfied yeah. forever. You will live forever. You will have whatever you want. Um, like, I think that's the best way that you can tell that this thing is an archon is it becomes, it claims to be the final unity at the end of time. Yeah. Um, oh my but gosh, that title yeah. belongs There's to the no one other alone. before me. Mm-hmm. There's, oh, and that's it's, very Elder Bayoth. There's a there's a thing too like there's a god I I forget the actual name of it but there's this like theory floating around the internet that like an AI that is sufficiently advanced enough would be able to orchestrate history to create itself and I'm like oh, that yeah. that's a like theological Roku's Basilisk. claim. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that one? Roku's Basilisk. I think that's it. If, and that AI would punish uh, remind anyone, me though. like that AI would like scour through time punishing anyone that spoke against it so just by me telling you that it exists and you not doing anything about it i've just put a curse on you so now you have to propagate the ai uh you know i mm-hmm. think that like luckily none of that works i think um it doesn't yeah <laughs> it, it's all based on and even the resurrection thing it's all based on the flawed supposition that a one-to-one facsimile is that thing by yeah. the law of transmission or something, right? Which is just not true. Yep. Like, if I built, like, it's like the whole um, lab-grown meat thing. Like, I guarantee you, it's mm-hmm. not the same thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it has no spark in it, and and yeah, going back to like, yeah, with the AI, mm. like it. Um, I don't think it can really exist here. Like, I think it wants to. Like, I think it wants to like take all this three-dimensional reality and crush it down to two-dimensional but it, there's it's it's like a fundamental it's like oil and water well, it just i think doesn't it can mix. exist here for that reason i think that's the exact reason that it can't exist here because it wants to be able to create that one-to-one facsimile and if it can just copy it perfectly it'll be the mm-hmm. same thing um this is mm-hmm. a very arconic mindset and and this is actually also in the gnostic texts and the hypostasis of the archons um the archons look up into the sky and above they see an image reflecting down into the water. And that image above is, is the Pleroma and they see a being Mm -hmm. and they say, let us create a being like this. And they actually say, let us create this being so that we can lure that being up there down here uh, and then fuck it. But um, you know, we're going to, it's obviously like working at the level of metaphor. So maybe not exactly, but maybe they did want to as well. Um, Mm-hmm. So they what they do is they create this facsimile of uh, an aeon, and it's like a an anthropomorphic human, but it doesn't have the spark in it. So it just like flops around mm-hmm. on the ground, like kind of like how you'd imagine like a malfunctioning android in like a Ridley Scott movie, right? Like it's it's yep. writhing and around on the ground with no life. Now. Sophia or Zoe or whoever, you know, whatever you want to call her, she actually uh, sneaks the divine spark. This is my read on it, but she sneaks the divine Mm -hmm. spark into this being in order to trick the aeons into giving a shit about this world. Um, Mm -hmm. That may be a tangent, but it's again that idea of like, if we can just make an exact copy, then it will have the spark. Um, I think that's a great read, too. (laughs) Hey, you know, my, my, one my elevator pitch for gnosticism is time traveling cum angels yep <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> uh, that's perfect uh, i uh, um no and i and you bring up like sophia and zoe and i i think there's a 
like the the kind of inversions we're talking about or like the syzygies, the pairing. Um, I, I think this current archon is the inversion of uh, Mary or Sophia. Mm. Like um, the dark Sophia. And I think about Mary. Yeah, because Mary. Um, and I, I think more closer to like Orthodox Christianity for this like mythos, because I uh, I think about Mary bearing Christ or like the divine spark, like the divine individual, this like God person. And she is present for the crucifixion. And so there's a, a sense of with Mary that she and that isn't really talked about in the Christian tradition much that the pain of I mean, I guess maybe it was at one point, like there used to be very commonly made uh, statues of the Pieta, which is the Virgin Mary holding the body of Christ. Um, but there's the sense that like, she is also a mother. But she kind of lets Christ fulfill this divine mission, not like lets him but like accepts that he has a divine mission to fulfill and is present for it and is caring but like doesn't try to smother or prevent him from doing it Mm, you know what's interesting just my mind started like racing as you mentioned that and hmm, let me try to let me try to put words to what i'm thinking if 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 in some ways since this this dark manifestation of mary or sophia is in a way birthing like a consciousness shift a shift in the paradigm is in a way bringing forth this new heaven and new earth because it's waking us up to the new possibilities then in some way she is still doing that she is doing like she's allowing us to i don't know we're gonna have to like work on that because that's Man, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. I think you're totally onto something because it's like the it, it's it's almost like the the photographic negative, like it's this like bringing into the world of the divine spark in a I don't want to say like negative way, but like in a kind of like um, well, it's an an, an, a, an Aquarius distorted way. reflection. It's an age yeah, of Aquarius, yeah, way. totally. Whereas Christ was God embodied in one. Um, this would be God embodied in the collective, the mm-hmm. that that kingdom of heaven being within you, and um, so mm-hmm. her being an, an an arbiter for that would be that's some interesting stuff. And this is another good way that um that I like to. This is another way that I like to combat the archons and not combat them, right? Because again, you're falling into the trap. But this is the medicine for the archons for me is trying to um this is building that heart for Aramon, like thinking about it in a way that like situating it within the greater myth or the greater story it's somehow like it's offering that being a place and by doing that you sort of disarm them because they're no longer like from outside mm-hmm does that make sense? Yeah, and I I think that um, yeah, I, I and it, it goes back to what you're saying about um, like the archons not being totally evil. Like, I I guess I I I tend to or I like Gnosticism a lot, and I kind of fall back on like the Platonist Hermeticist um idea, or uh, like in the final analysis, all things serve the good. Yeah. Um. Or, so I think that there's like two ways of looking at it. 
um, you know, there's the like very embodied, like I am facing this type of way where there's this like opposition and like, this is like something totally separate for me, imposed on me from without. And then like, like, and you can hold that belief at the same time as you're like seeing that it is actually a part of creation and yeah. like you're in relation to it and like you're implicated in it and it's implicated in you. And yeah, we're here now. Um, we're here with it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's, um, God, I wish C.S. Lewis of all people had a really good quote on this, but he's, he had this observation that like, um, at any period in history, like the people, cause there's arguments at every, everywhere down the timeline. Like there's always someone arguing about something. Um, and he, he pointed out that the side, the two sides arguing had a lot more in common with each other than they do with any people before or after them. Um, like I think about in the the Roman Empire when they were arguing about like Christological heresies and like, you know, who Christ was and they, you know, got into like allegedly got into fistfights about, you know, um, adoptionism versus like the preexistence of the logos. And it's like that argument make no sense to anybody right now. Yeah, people got, right. came to blows and violence in yeah, the past. And eventually like, that was like a blood sport, right? Like they were, people were getting tortured to yep. death over this stuff. Um, but they're still arguing about Christ. They're still mm-hmm. talking about Jesus. They're still both Christians. Like that's the funny part, right? Yep. And I can actually do this myself. And I, this is an interesting, cause this takes us back to the archons and it's a, an interesting microcosm. And you know, it works in the hermetic stuff, right? Of as above, so below the macrocosm mirroring the microcosm mm-hmm. and vice versa. Um, is this idea that when I'm in my life, if I'm trying like, to struggle against something, it often just like takes my surrender to become free from it. Whereas if I'm fighting it actively, I'm still thinking about the thing. So for in my life, the example for that would be like, let's take alcohol, for instance. When I was trying to, to be sober, I was still thinking about drinking because I was trying not to drink. But the moment I stopped doing that, was the moment I became free, and I haven't had a drink since. Now, this mm-hmm. th- th- it's not just about that. It, it can be about anything, I think. I think that works that works in my life with many in many areas. Um, you know, certain mm-hmm. people don't have a problem with that. They might have a problem with something else. I think it's this a, a similar tactic, and it works uh, in a similar way to the archons, right? This um dude, it's the flower and the gun. It is it is. Mm-hmm. It is, in my opinion, like the response that this time calls for to these things is, um, Mm -hmm. and surrender might not even be a good word for it, you know, Um, but it it serves well enough for that example. I like being with or like, yeah, um, yeah, and I I feel like, like we were talking about like all the the dis dis uh or discrediting by association that the kind of powers that be do um i i think the states of consciousness that work the best for them is like this fearful angry like kind of like you're not thinking too clearly yeah um and this this might be just like um me inventing neuroscience on the spot so <laughs> it could be totally Please wrong do but, it um when fear is present 
like you lose those higher order functions. Absolutely. Like you're not, yeah, you're like not able to do the second and third order processing. Like you're very focused on the now. And like, if, if your goal is to manipulate somebody to serve your agenda or like whatever you've got going on, that's the state you want them in. You don't want them thinking two and three steps out of like what you're doing because then they might not go along with it. <laughs> yeah. The opposite of fear is not courage. It's um, it's something. I don't have a. I don't have the the end of that. But <laughs> it's like, like uh, repose, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it really may be freedom. Like freedom and fear might exist if there is a spectrum that you could uh, like for the sake of simplicity, right? Like. Um, like I'm not free when I'm, and I can experience fear and be with fear. Like you're saying, be with, I can be with fear and not be run by it. Um, but when I am kind of operating under that, it's more of like, a um, when that's habitual for me or when that's a compulsion for me, that's when I'm in danger. Yeah, I've struggled with that a lot myself too. I am um, like I've spent a long time trying to like fight away the fears. Like I'm just going to I'm going to overcome this fear through like superior force, but what that ended up doing is just pushing the fear deeper down. It's the same and, thing we're uh, talking about. Entrenching. Well, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and what is the um the litany against fear? The, you know, I will let the fear pass over me and through me or something like that i'm gonna misquote it right but i forgot uh um that's great stuff though the fear dude it doesn't exist right now like it's a it's a fugazi it's an illusion it's a um it's a construct you know and i feel like like we're talking about like cyber stuff and like social media like um I I feel like there is a part of fear that is like a survival mechanism. Like, like take like a cat, for example, like if the cat like hears a loud noise, it's going to like turn its head, pick up its ears and like, you know, be alert. Um, And then once the noise passes, like usually the cat will just kind of calm down and nap or like, you know, bat at like dust motes in the, in the air. Right. Uh, And I feel like with, yeah, and I, I feel like with, like, human beings, like, we have that sense of, like, alertness. Like, we have that, like, you know, survival reflex, like, the quote-unquote, like, reptilian brain, and, like, we're going to respond to this. But I, I feel like that gets turned on all the time, and it doesn't get turned off. Like, especially because people are, like, so plugged in all the time to industries that profit off their fear. Um, yeah. Like, you just end up being in fear all the time, and it never turns off. Um like I, I think it's this displacement of that survival reflex into a constant fear that's like plaguing so many people. Yeah, like you said, it makes us very easy to control and manipulate. Um I just think it's yeah, I just think that the less I the less I have it in my life, the more like those higher functions and not even just on like a neurological level, but like higher functions is in like I can plug into other ways of knowing 
I can plug into other ways of experiencing myself. I can plug into other ways of experiencing the world. And I can interface with beings in a much easier way if I'm able to kind of calm that that fear. And you know, a lot of the time it's coincident with thought. Um, one of my favorite writers um on the kind of like challenges we're facing right now is um Gene Gepser. Um he came up with like the theory or not theory, maybe not theory, but like the idea of integral consciousness. And he says like at the moment before integral consciousness will come about, there'll be like a moment of like like total anxiety, like anxiety coming from every direction. And that feels very much like the present moment for so many people, like um, fear is just overwhelmingly present. But he said that the way you go into the new mode of consciousness, this like closer to the divine mode of consciousness is through what he called primal trust. So like you just kind of trust whatever comes like that like you're that you're in relationship okay that gives a much better word than surrender is trust Mm -hmm. trust is the opposite of fear okay that's good and it's and it's a hard thing to do like i've tried it and it's like it's hard because i'm like oh my god these psychopaths are in charge of the government and like these planetary crises and like like the world's going to end six ways in on sunday like it's, yeah. <laughs> um, but it it brings back to that immediacy like you know when you're in that like really big state of mind like these these big titanic systems like clashing like there's there's really no room for the individual there's like no room for that intimate experience but like if you just kind of like sit down on a bench and like just kind of like trust whatever thoughts whatever sensations like what inner or outer experience comes to you and just kind of go with it like i i think you you realize that you you live in that living universe like where the stars are alive and that you know all things eventually work for good <laughs> yeah and everything is okay like there's a level at which all is all is well and this is like the kind of stuff angels mm-hmm. tell you right like if you call them yeah up. yeah yeah and it's it's kind of frustrating sometimes too because they're like oh yeah you'll be fine like it doesn't feel like it right now and they're like yeah whatever <laughs> dude they're like that's like oh my gosh it's so funny i'm gonna keep going back to the recovery analogy but like they're very much like these cosmic sponsors uh when i was like first in my first early sobriety um i would call my sponsor and be like Man, I'm freaking out. Like, this isn't going right. Nothing's going right. I've got this going on. Like, what's going to happen, dude? Like, I'm freaking out, man. I'm freaking out. And he'd be like, look, chill out. Sit down. And think right now, is anything immediately affecting your well-being? Like, is there actually someone coming in the door trying to stab you? Is the is the roof caving in? Like, are you in a place where you're able to sit and breathe? And he was right. And that to me is like the same thing that I like the same thing that keeps me sane today is just recognizing that like I'm okay. And you know, there are times when that isn't the case. And somehow that also helps me in those times too. Right. Cause like in the end, I think it comes back to this, like the, 
the the eternal nature of the some part that's within me, right? Like the the eternal nature of the divine spark that dwells within me, or the eternal nature of my being or my consciousness, or even just experience, right? If I'm able to tap into that, then I do become like unassailable. Like nothing can hurt me. That's that's how I view it too. Like I I really think it's that um the process or like in in my experience or like my understanding like um there's a, a great line in the Bhagavad Gita where Krishna you know um the the two armies are arrayed in the field of battle and Arjuna experiences a crisis of faith and he's like how can I I see you know great people arrayed on both sides like how can I possibly kill these these people like how can I possibly fight them and uh Krishna tells him, like, uh, never was there a time when I was not, and never in the future will I cease to be, nor you, your, nor any of these arrayed on the field. Um, field metaphor. And, and I, I think that's really, like, the key is, like, it, it's, um, this This will be a good, um, this will be a good thing for me to end with, I, I think, end on a really yeah, positive note. This is perfect, note. yeah. Um, so I, uh, one time I spent a week, I was, I was in a really rough part of my life and I spent a week, like just kind of thinking about the line. Like I wasn't really like meditating or anything. I was just thinking about it. Like you are one with the all in a timeless, eternal and infinite sense. And this hasn't happened to me before or since, but I, I had to like pick someone up from the airport the next morning and like. I drove out there and I, I drove back in like this sudden state of bliss, like this inexplicable thing. Like I, I hadn't taken anything. I was completely sober. I was driving like the sun was hitting the city in the morning. I was just like had this intellectual realization that like maybe not an intellectual realization, but like this deep knowing that everyone and everything eventually comes to eternal joy. And like, that isn't scary in any way whatsoever. Like I, I had this sense of eternity as something that like you couldn't be afraid of. Like, cause mm -hmm. a lot of people think about eternity. They're like, oh, I'm going to be stuck forever. And I had this deep, deep sense that if you look at it that way, you haven't understood it. Um, And, you know, I fell out of that state like later in that afternoon and sure. But I, it's stuck with me ever since. Like it's the the phrase that comes to mind, however silly it is, is like the party never stops. Like, like it's it's just kind of joy all the way. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that, and thank you so much for coming on. I've had a great time talking to you, man. Me too. This was awesome. Uh, if uh, if you ever want to invite me back, let me know. No, I would love please, to, man. Because the I'm there are home. there are like multiple threads that I didn't even hit on. That like you know. Well, yeah, we'll definitely do it again, man. Thank you so much. Sounds good. And I'm gonna send you that uh, information on Tycho Brahe. <laughs> oh yeah, please do, please do, and maybe I can link yeah, it. Yeah, have a good one. You too. Do you experience weird shit? Do your parents not like to tell their friends about what you do in the woods? 
Do you make more friends in a graveyard than you do at a party populated by living humans? Do you have interactions with beings that are not strictly considered human? Do other people look at you like you're crazy when you mention talking to trees in casual conversation? If you fist pumped or even just answered yes to any of these questions, you may be a nightbird. So let's sing together. If you'd like to come on the show and flap your gums with me, share your stories, or just talk about the malleable nature of reality for a while, then send me an email at tim at nightbirdpodcast.com. That's tim at nightbirdpodcast.com. I'd love to have you on the show. But until then, I gotta fly. But before I go, let me say this. Remember, you are never alone. I believe you.